During the Second World War, a young soldier by the name of David Webster of what was known as the Easy Company of the 101st Airborne in the United States of America in the Army, he said, and he wrote to his mother in a letter, he said, Stop worrying about me. I joined the parachutists to fight, and I intend to fight. If necessary, I shall die fighting. But don't worry about this, because no war can be won without young men dying. Those things which are precious are saved only by sacrifice. No doubt this young man, he knew the perils and indeed the sacrifices which we recognize with war. We only have to go down our streets and in a lot of the towns and villages we find a war memorial and there are many names on it. Many of us, if not all, have someone or multiple people written on those war memorials. And war, sadly, is so very common. It has dogged men since the fall. But to fight a war, a country needs soldiers. And any army that is going to be successful has had to have large numbers of well-trained recruits. If you look back to the glory days, as it were, when Britain ruled the waves, there was a disciplined and a great army. The empire was marked by a disciplined army with a stiff upper lip attitude and a desire to keep Britain great. For the Christian, you know, when it comes to our calling, we often forget it. We are followers of Jesus Christ and we're called to be followers. But this does not simply mean that we're a follower and that's it. It's just a name and name only. There is an action that must come with that. We are saved to serve. We are saved to serve and to fight for Christ. To fight our sins, our lusts, our desires. That's the internal struggle. We all know that. Fighting with sin daily. You're not a Christian if you don't know that struggle. And each one of us that are saved, we can testify to that fact. But there is the external struggle as well. And there is that aspect of the internal warfare, but there is their external warfare as well. And that's what Jude is dealing with. Jude, in these first few verses, really verses 1 to 4, he's dealing with this Christian warfare, this outward warfare of the Christian against the world and the flesh and the devil and against those that would come against God and come against his word. And with that in mind, that's what I want us to look at this morning for a few moments. It is the Christian warfare, the Christian warfare. And note the first thing there is here, there is a desperate need attached. There's a desperate need attached to the Christian warfare. Look at verse 3, what Jude says there. It says, Beloved, when I give all diligence to write unto you. All diligence. Jude, he speaks of this all diligence being given by himself to write unto his readers. Now the word diligence, it really means an earnest, utmost importance. It carries, as it were, the translation of hurry or in business and also care, as in caring or worried about something in other parts of the New Testament. Something that is of an utmost and most necessary nature. You know, Jude does not say here, well, I felt I should write on to you because maybe it'd be a good idea. Nor does he simply say, well, I think it's best that I write on to you just because I should probably warn you. No, he says, I give all diligence to it. Utmost earnest importance. All care, all business to write on to you. It really speaks of something that is consuming the apostle, as it were. Jude says, it's so necessary to write unto you that I give it utmost importance. And that speaks of a desperate need. 
a desperate need of what he has to say. He then goes on there to say, as it were, when I give all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you. Needful for me. And those phrase, that phrase there, needful for me, it has two Greek words in it. And the one Greek word, it speaks of necessity or distress in the sense that it brings distress. It's so necessary for it to be done. Type of situation that would require immediate attention. And that's really what the apostle wants to get at. He's speaking of a desperate need. It's bringing him distress. It's so necessary that he must write on to those that he writes on to. He's so burdened to do it. And believer then, surely the same message that had a desperate need attached in Jude's time must have a desperate need attached to us as well because the Bible is for all people, all Christians. And the time of Jude's epistle, you know, here was written around the year 67 to 80 AD. We can't really tie it down too much more than that, but in and around that time. And also the book of Second Peter was written just slightly before this book. We believe when you read the biblical scholars that Second Peter was written around 64 to 67 AD, just before Peter was martyred, and Jude would be written around that time or slightly after. And the reason I tell you that is because there are similarities between Jude's message and the message of Second Peter. Therefore, they must be close in age. And Jude's whole focus is really to encourage believers to fight for the truth. And his message is of raising awareness of false teachers and then giving God's people the abilities and the weapons to fight against those false teachers. And that's why Jude makes it so necessary and so important to write on to believers. He saw that these false teachers and these false professors, they were coming in and they were seeking to attack and to shipwreck and ultimately to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. And as I said, Second Peter carries the same message. And if you turn with me there to Second Peter, just to chapter 2 of Second Peter, I'll show you this. Second Peter brings out different things than Jude does, of course. Second Peter in the chapter 2. Just a few pages over in your Bible. Second Peter in the chapter 2, in the verse 1 of Second Peter 2. It says there, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false prophets among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Now, if you go to Second Peter chapter 1 in the very last verse, it's a well-known verse, Second Peter 1.21. It is a verse that speaks of the inspiration of the Bible. How that the apostles, it says there, prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That is a verse that speaks that the scriptures were inspired by the Holy Spirit moving men of God. This book was not written by the ideas of men, but by the Holy Ghost. Peter lays that down. And then in 2 Peter 2 verse 1, he says, But there were false prophets also among the people. He's talking about the Old Testament. And he says, There also are false teachers among you. And his point is, the word of God was written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But in the olden times, in the Old Testament, false prophets and in the New Testament, false teachers will come and will seek to pervert that truth and will seek to bring their own message, which is, as he calls it, a damnable heresy, something that is entirely against the word of God. 
That's the message of Second Peter. And that's the same message that Jude is bringing to those that he writes to as well. He really wants to paint this picture. You go back to Jude there. He really wants to paint the picture. Is that there are evil men seeking to attack the church from without and within. And because of that, Christian warfare is needed. It's not something Christians might you'll think about doing or possibly consider. It is something that must happen. It is paramount that they fight. Look at Jude in the verse 4, what he says there. He says, For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Crept in unawares is one word in the original Greek language. And it carries the meaning of stealth. Or to give a literal translation is to settle in alongside. The idea is of settling in alongside true believers. It is those wolves in sheep's clothing that Christ spoke about. It's none other than the false professor. The one who seeks to, or one who claims to believe in Christ, who walks the talk and walks the walk and talks the talk, sorry, at least for a little while. But then once they get in, they stir up trouble and sorrow. They stir up tension and division. They bring in their own ideas. They're Satan's agents in the church, as it were. And that's what Jude is so desperate to tell his readers. Men and women, watch out for those who seek to settle in alongside you, but are not of the faith of Jesus Christ. Look what it says in verse 4. It says, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. And that word lasciviousness, it's a striking word. It really means wantonness. And really, what it is, it's men taking the gospel and making it something that it's not. Men claiming you can live as you like and all is well. Men claiming God loves everyone. All men will be saved eventually. Men who claim that you need no atoning sacrifice of Christ. Men who claim simply good works, being in church, that's enough to get you into heaven. That verse is talking about that. And that's what we have to be so careful about. And I should stress to you now, it says there that turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God, that verse is not speaking about the true child of God. It is not speaking about a Christian who falls away and loses their salvation. Because as a Christian, you cannot turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Because you have that new principle of life within you from the Holy Spirit, and you cannot do that. Grace will always strive against sin. But... It's speaking about those who claim to be saved that aren't. Those who claim the name of Christ, but they deny God and they deny Christ. They deny who he is and what he has done. They deny the Godhead and the Christ as the Son of God. And that's an ancient heresy, you know, that it's still here today. It's very prevalent in this world today. Men say, oh, well, Jesus Christ was just a good man. Or he wasn't a man at all. He was just God and not man. They'll do anything they can to try and discredit the Lord. They'll say he never rose from the dead. They'll say he never truly died. And friend, anything that seeks to put Christ down is wicked. And that's what Jude wants the people to watch for, to be wise unto, because those men would seek to destroy the church and pervert the church and lead many souls away to what they believe. And you know, we cannot lie and slumber and sleep while men seek to hurt the souls of men and women. Men are perishing under the lies of false teachers today, and are we just going to let it go on? And only the truth of God's word can set the captive free. 
Note the descriptions that I gave of lasciviousness. That of turning the gospel into easy believism. Is that not today's society? You hear people saying you don't need the blood to be saved. The idea of somebody dying in the place of another is barbaric to those around us. That's what they say. One Church of England vicar actually called the death of Jesus Christ cosmic child abuse. Such is the horrors that lurk in those who claim to love Christ, but yet they reject the teaching of the scriptures. Repentance is a word no one wants to hear. Be yourself. Do good works. Love one another. And whilst love one another is, of course, from the words of our Savior, it's often misused to defend sin. Love one another does not mean that we should defend or support that which is contrary to God's word. And love one another does not mean that no matter what, no matter what you do in this life, that you're going to be saved. No, you must come to Christ. And you look at the mainstream denominations today, how many men in pulpits are rank heretics, claiming Christ is not God and that he cannot save. And such it was in Jude's day. And this is the desperate need for Christian warfare. We must fight against Satan and hell and his followers, for they are against us and we cannot sit back. Yes, we're on the winning side, Christian, but we're called to fight, to take ground from the devil and to seek to win the souls of men and women for the master. And that's the desperate need that Jude wants us to see. But there's also a distinguishing characteristic ascribed to Christian warfare. Jude describes a distinguishing characteristic here. And it describes all those who are involved in Christian warfare. Look at verse 3, what it says. Beloved, I give all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. It was needful to me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. It says there, common salvation. And Jude is, is saying, as we remarked, it's the utmost importance that I write to you of this common salvation. Now, common is not, as it were, a run-of-the-mill, neither good nor bad, just really in between. It's not saying standard or the medium, not one extreme or the other. What it's saying is something that is common in the sense of it is common to those who are saved. It's shared. It's not common as a penny, as it, as it were, when we think of that word. It's the shared salvation amongst all those who are saved. Not shared with all men, shared with the elect, the children of God, with God's people. It's not common, sense, or not common in the sense of being lesser or less adequate, but common in the sense that we all share it. It's something that unites all the people of God. You know, we have different backgrounds, different ages, personalities, past life situations, employments, health problems, etc. We're not all the same people. We're all so very different. We cannot say all Christians are alike, but in this aspect we are. It's a common salvation. We are all partakers of the same salvation. And that is the distinguishing mark of those who must be involved in Christian warfare. Only those who are partakers of the salvation of Christ and therefore are soldiers of Christ. You know, Jude partook of that salvation and he writes to fellow believers. And if we trace back in the scriptures, we'll note, you know, by and large that the gospel and indeed salvation was mainly limited to the Jewish nation in the Old Testament. Yes, there were Gentile believers. We can think of Jethro and the sailors and Jonah and the Ninevites, for example. But mainly in the Old Testament, it was limited to the Jewish nation. But then in the New Testament, the gospel was shared with all. 
Yes, there are many who claim and say about dispensationalism and all those different things, but we don't want to talk about that. That has nothing to do with what's in the Word of God. The truth is that it was always God's plan for the gospel to be shared amongst all nations. To point that out to you, I want you to turn to Psalm 67 and the verse 2. Psalm 67 and the verse 2 there. We can go to many different places, but this one will suffice, I trust. Psalm 67 and the verse 2. These are well-known words, I trust. It says there in the verse 1 for context, Psalm 67. God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah. And then verse 2. That thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. Among all nations. And then I'll read to you Psalm 22, verse 27. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. And those two are just two examples of many examples where it proves that the gospel would spread to the Gentiles in the New Testament. And we can see that the Greeks and the Romans and all manner of men and women were coming to Christ in the New Testament. And of course, down through the ages, and so are you and I, Christian, this morning. We are Gentile believers. We're not of the Jewish nation. And this common salvation, it's shared by all. It's shared by the whole church down through the centuries, and it's shared by us today. And this is the distinguishing characteristic that marks the Christian soldier. Many men, you know, they fight for someone they fear or they reverence. Many fight for a king or a country. Many fight for a good cause, a worthy cause. But we Christian, we fight for our Christ and for his cross. And what unites us is not a uniform or a flag or a country or training, but a common salvation. What is this salvation? Chosen by the same grace. The same grace that chose the apostles, that chose the prophets, that chose the patriarchs, and indeed has chosen us. It is common to us all. We're all part of that mystical body of Christ known as the church. Because of that, we all have the same privileges. We're all able to come into the presence of God through Christ, to have strength for each day, to have help in all aspects of our lives, to have help to understand God's word, just like the believers down through the ages. We all have the same Christ. And praise God, he loves us as if we were his only child, each one of us. And yet he loves us all the same. You know, we cannot share our love like that with our children. We try, but we are only human beings, as it were. But Jesus Christ, it's like he loves each one of us singly, as each one of us as if we were an only child. And yet he loves us all just the same. And that is the common salvation that marks the Christian soldier. And the world world knows absolutely nothing about it. This world is marked with violence and anger and heartache. It's marked with division and fighting. But Christian, this characteristic of the common salvation unites us. And we should be united against the enemy. Not fighting with each other, not turning one against the other as the church has done down through the ages many a time. But the true body of Christ should be fighting against those that are against the gospel. United with that common salvation, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Repentance and faith toward Jesus Christ and resting only on him. Not only a distinguishing characteristic, but lastly here, Jude gives a direct call. He applies a direct call to the Christian warfare. And to every Christian soldier, this is a direct call to our hearts today. 
There is a desperate need to fight. And those are the common salvation we must fight. But how actually do we fight? That's the call that Jude gives here. Look at verse 3, it says, When I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Earnestly contend for the faith. And you know the words earnestly contend, they're one word in the original Greek, and they mean to struggle for. The Greek words, really, if you go into the depths of them, it literally means to focus on a competition, as it were. It carries this idea of with all our might, focusing and striving and struggling for the faith once delivered to the saints. The faith delivered to the saints describes the doctrines of grace. It is, of course, the deity of Christ and the Holy Spirit, the vicarious atonement, the humanity of Christ as well, the Trinity and the attributes of God, etc., etc. Salvation by grace alone, the sufficiency of Scripture. You don't need me to list you all the theological terms today, but that is the faith once delivered to the saints. It's what we believe. It's what's found in the Word of God. And we are to struggle for, and we are to defend, and we are to contend for those doctrines. And how do we do that? We do it by preaching against the errors of today and sharing the gospel and the scriptures with those around us. By driving back the liberal ideas, but also by personal study of the word of God. You cannot be a true soldier if you're not close with God and in his word often. No soldier you know is any use unless he's a committed soldier. A committed soldier trains well and he gains experience and strength as he fights. And Christians, we must know our Bibles and we must know our Lord if we are to fight. Christians who do not read and do not pray, they cannot fight correctly. It's a call, you know, to contend in the home, the workplace, society in general. A call to fight the ecumenical ideas that will creep into the church. A call to fight those sins that are applauded. It's a direct call. And we contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints through prayer and the Holy Spirit's power and knowing the scriptures. It's not a call to let others fight, friends. It's not a call just to ministers or elders or leaders. It's a call to all who, as we noted, know the common salvation. I say this, if there is no fight, can we truly say that we love Jesus Christ? If we do not love him, we do not fight for him. But surely those that we love are worth fighting for and we think what Christ has done for us. Surely he is worth us giving our all for. When I say this, we can only do this in the strength of the Lord. And Judah is not saying, go alone and do it yourself. How do I know that? Well, if you look at verse 1 and verse 2 there, it says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. And then he says these words, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, preserved in Jesus Christ and called. And the words sanctified by God the Father, it means being set apart by God the Father, to be holy. That's really what it's saying. And the idea is there really of God the Father calling us. This is speaking of our election in Jesus Christ. God the Father set us apart to be holy for him. And then it says, preserved in Jesus Christ. There's the work of Christ and the keeping power of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses from all sin and will keep on cleansing and will never lose its power. Jude's showing the believers here. You were set apart by God the Father in eternity past. And you have been saved and kept by the power of Jesus Christ 
And then it says, and called. And that speaks of the work of the Holy Spirit. Called by the Spirit unto the Lord. And then in eternity, you can read in Revelation, we don't have time to do it now. It speaks about the wedding supper of the Lamb. And it speaks about those, blessed are those that are called. And that's you and I, Christian, if we're saved this morning. And Jude reminds believers of their standing in Christ. Sanctified, set apart in eternity past by the Father. Saved and preserved in Jesus Christ. Called by the Spirit. Then it says, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. That's a prayer. That's the apostles' prayer for the people. That you would know more of the mercy of God. That you would know more of the peace of God and of Christ. That you would know more love of Christ. As it were, that you would experience him more. That you would understand him more. That you would be drawn closer to him. And then through that, you would be able to show more mercy and peace and love to those around you. And you'd be able to earnestly contend for the faith. And that's why I know Jude is not asking these people to do this in their own strength. Because he's setting up where they stand. Their, their faithful standing in Christ. And he's praying that they would have mercy, peace and love. And Christian, it's the same for us today. Remember your standing. Remember the source of your strength. And contend for the faith in that strength. We cannot take a step without the Lord. Why do we so often try? I say this and with this I close. We often think of the Christian warfare. We often go to the, as it were, the Christian armor. And we can think of the first piece of the Christian armor. It is that girdle of truth. And of course that girdle speaks really of a belt. And if you go back into the time that the book was written, Ephesians was written, it speaks of the Greek or the Roman soldiers. And they'd have wore a belt, a girdle around their tunic and their armor as it were. And this would have kept their armor together, would have kept it all in one place, would have kept it from moving and flowing about as they marched, as they walked, and as they fought, of course. And if a commanding officer came and he saw a soldier that did not have this girdle, this belt on, he would have deemed them not fit for service. They'd have been deemed a, a lazy or a slothful soldier. They wouldn't have fought correctly. But with that girdle on, they were able to fight effectively. They were able to fight properly. And they were deemed as being ready for whatever would come. And friend, that is you and I today. Are we ready for what comes? The girdle of truth that speaks of that sincerity of wanting to fight, being ready to fight. Are we ready to fight for Christ? Jude says that we should earnestly contend for the faith. It was needful for him to write on to these people and to us because these men, these certain men, have crept in unawares. Believer, this morning as we close, will we contend for the Lord and for his doctrines? Will we be daily involved in the Christian warfare? Will we do it through the grace and the love of Christ and the strength of Christ? and the power of the Holy Ghost today. I trust and pray we will. May God write his word in our hearts for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's just close with the words of a hymn. It is 406. 406. More about Jesus would I know. More of his grace to others show. More of his saving fullness see. More of his love who died for me. And let's stand to sing.